Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, joined by co-host Aaron Keller. Today we are back on Teams, and that is because for the first time ever, we have fisheries biologist Coulter Fierstein joining us from Winnemucca. Coulter, welcome. Yeah, thank you guys for having me today. I'm excited to be on here. I know we're excited to have you. We were saying we don't highlight Winnemucca staff enough. Like I forget there's an office there. So it's good to highlight some staff out that way and highlight some of the projects that you have going on. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I think most people look at Winnemucca as kind of a, a pass-through area. So it'll be nice to highlight some of the the cool fish stuff that we're doing over here. Yeah, and so a project you're working on caught my eye and I was like, we should record a podcast on this. But before we get into that prod, that specific project, um, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and when you started working for Endow? Yeah, so um, I started working with Endow in April of 2022. Um, I actually, fin- shortly before that, I finished a master's degree in uh, fisheries through the University of Montana, um, and wh- where I was actually working on a lot of West Slope cutthroat trout conservation issues um, in Montana. And then prior to that, I uh, worked as fisheries, several fisheries technician jobs in uh, Montana, New Mexico, Nebraska, just kind of working with na- different native species, um, all of which include different subspecies of cutthroat trout. And so, uh, yeah, when I saw this job, um, it was kind of my calling to continue doing some really fun conservation work with another subspecies of cutthroat trout. And before we started recording, you said we might think you're weird if we saw the pictures in your phone because you have so many fish pictures. <laughs> it sounds like that really is your passion, fish and LCT almost to be specific. Yeah, no, I do have a, a real passion for for fish, um, kind of got involved with it uh, through my, my uh, love for fly fishing and kind of being on various rivers and high mountain lakes and whatnot um, and when I was a kid and whatnot. And so, yeah, I kind of just followed that and got super interested in fisheries and then somehow found a, um, a real passion for native species conservation, particularly with uh, cutthroat trout. And yeah, now I'm on working with, uh, I guess this will be my third uh, subspecies of cutthroat trout that I've gotten to do um, a little bit of work with, which has been really fun. Nice. Well, we're glad to have you here at Endow and happy that you're willing to join us for the podcast since I know it's been a busy field season for you. Um, So let's get into, well, one of the projects you have going on is the Crowley Creek BDA project. So what is a BDA for people who don't know? Yeah, so a BDA is uh, short for Beaver Dam Analog. And all it really is is an artificial um, dam structure that essentially is constructed by us, uh, Endow or other um, uh, conservation personnel. And 
it's supposed to simulate an actual beaver dam uh, within a, a stream or, or uh, creek system. Nice. And then, so you're building one out at um, Crowley Creek then, which is, can you tell us where that is? Yeah, so Crowley Creek is almost kind of smack dab in the center of the Montana mountains, uh, just northwest of Winnemucca. And it's a pretty small, um, I should say, uh, the stream itself has perennial flow, but it probably only has perennial flow for a few miles. And then it kind of just uh, dissipates into the, the sage flats down there um, in, the, in that canyon. But um, yeah, relatively small stream, used to have beavers. And so uh, we're actually trying to, to bring habitat uh, back to um, more of an original state for the Lahontan cutthroat trout population in Crowley Creek as it has. Uh, Crowley Creek supports one of the last endemic Lahontan cutthroat trout populations in the Northwest, uh, particularly in the Quinn River Basin, which is um, the basin that the stream essentially drains into, and that's how we separate um, managing law and cutthroat trout across uh, the Great Basin is by kind of these different management units. Aaron, hey, I see you're off mute. Sorry. Yeah, Coulter, um, how involved is a project? I mean, it's like you say BDA or Beaver Dam Analog, but like, can you explain like how involved something or this type of project is? For sure. Yeah. Well. I mean, on the front end, uh, you know, it takes a bit of work to get some of the permitting done um, with our collaborators through BLM or Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, we're also working with uh, Trout Unlimited on this project and United States Geological Survey. We actually have a, a graduate student working on it um, through Utah State University as well. So it, it kind of turned into this big project um, where, you know, we, we kind of brought a bunch of collaborators together and, and recognized the need to try and uh, basically revitalize habitat in this stream, given the, the current state of Lahontan cutthroat trout in that, in that um, population. And so, you know, there's all that front end work of collaboration and, um, you know, getting the project actually put together logistically on the ground and whatnot. But the actual implementation of the project is fairly straightforward and easy. It, um, I, this is actually the first one that I've done personally. And I kind of went into it thinking, oh, like, you know, this it's going to be difficult to figure out how to build these beaver dams in the stream. But uh, in reality, it's not. It kind of brings you back to being a little kid damming up, you know, water in the backyard or something. You know, it's like, oh, this is pretty fun. You just kind of put, you know, put some posts in the stream and uh, it's almost like basket weaving. You're kind of, um, you know, weaving willows through posts that are pounded into the stream bed. and then. Uh, you know that you do that basically tight enough to where it gets compact and then sediment gets pushed up against that structure just like it would in a in a beaver dam and then it starts pooling up water behind it um and so the actual implementation of uh getting this done on the ground is pretty straightforward it's just a matter of getting you know everyone together to do it um paying for the resources to to get people out there on the ground to help put the structures in but once that's there it's it's uh Pretty straightforward, and I and I'll also say it would it would probably be a, a more time intensive ordeal if it wasn't um, if it was on a bigger system like say the Truckee River. But here we're dealing with a stream, you know, the Truckee River maybe flowing like a thousand cfs right now. And for example, Crowley Creek's probably 
a half a CFS right now. So very, very small stream. So that does help too with the, the workload on, on that front. And then how, because I kind of, as you were explaining, I kind of have a picture in my head of like what it would look like. How many of them do you build? Or is it just one and done? Or do you build like a, a system? Yeah, so that's a really good question. It really depends on um, like the scope and goals of the project. And so in Crowley Creek, for instance, we focused on an area um, that historically had a high, um, uh, basically high density of beaver that are no longer there anymore. And so we focused specifically on about a mile, mile and a half worth of stream and um, put these BDA structures in, but then also built uh, or I should say rebuilt the old beaver dams that you could still see in the system. Um, you could just see remnants of those still kind of, you know, anchored in on these cut banks and these meadows and whatnot. Um, so we really tried to focus on where these beavers would have been historically um, and where the system would have gotten the most benefit before um, they were essentially eradicated from the stream. And this might be a really dumb question, but I don't care. I'm going to ask it anyway. But so is the purpose of the BDA to kind of, um, I guess, create a beaver dam so we get back to where we were in that area? Or are we actually trying to bring back beaver populations too? Is that so, dumb? <laughs> no, that's a great question. No, that, that, that is, you actually hit on two really good points. And actually, we're trying to do both. So. Um, the whole point of this beaver or this BDA project is to, and I think this happens in a lot of cases where um, state agencies or other conservation groups are trying to put uh, BDAs in systems. Um, they're they're really only a temporary structure. Uh, they don't, you know, if we get another high flow year like last year, um, there's a good chance that half or maybe even more or most of those structures get blown out. Um, and so, the goal initially, yes, is to, to pool up water, um, create um, summering and wintering habitat for adult and juvenile uh, Lahontan cutthroat trout. But at the same time, it serves purposes for multiple species. For example, um, we're, we're also kind of simultaneously doing some uh, bat work in Crowley Creek to look at, um, you know, if if bat densities are going to incre are increasing because of um, the presence of pools, because uh, bats actually rely. And I'm I'm obviously a fish guy, so I'm kind of I I can't speak too much to the bat thing, but I guess they use these pools to drink um, when they come flying over. They like dip into these pools, and so they're really important for sustaining bat populations, uh, which also has you know a whole bunch of other effects, positive effects for a system. Um, but so, you know, they're important for species, but then the other piece of it is that beavers or beaver dams um, tend to back up, you know, they back up water. And what that's supposed to do is recharge the uh, groundwater storage so that essentially your springs, which feed a lot of these creeks, are staying more perennial um, throughout the year and you're getting cooler uh, longer flows throughout a stream system, which is important, obviously, for fish, um, but for other species that may, you know, terrestrial species that may live uh, down in the drainage. Um, but like I said, this isn't a this isn't a permanent fix, and so 
the, the, the real goal of this project is not only to try and, you know, benefit a bunch of these species initially, but also to put beaver back on the landscape. Um, and some recent research, I believe out of Utah State and maybe some groups in Idaho, I think are working on this as well. Uh, they're finding that having BDA structures in a stream that historically had beavers, um, when you try to reintroduce beavers back onto the landscape, uh, it's, you're gonna, there's a chance that you're gonna be more successful in doing so um, in reintroducing those beavers back to a creek just because, well, I think there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons being that uh, when you when you release a beaver into a, a creek, you know, they have a, or a stream, they have a lot of predators on the landscape and, you know, having some structure there for them to quickly build upon and, you know, get away from that predation risk, I think is potentially a huge deal for them. And so, um, you know, having these BDAs in place will hopefully speed up the reestablishment of beavers when we look to, to reintroduce beavers into that system here in the near future. That is super interesting. I'm going to take a quick break, but I do just want to say that it's so interesting to hear one example of how one species or even, I mean, for example, a beaver dam, how much it impacts. Um, it's crazy to me. Like that was a really good example showcasing that how many different species rely off that. So anyway, um, we will take a quick break right here and get right back into this. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking with Coulter Feirstein about a BDA project, which he has explained. This is a beaver dam analog, and um, this specific project's being done in the Winnemucca area at Crowley Creek. Um, Coulter, we were talking about just how it's just amazing to see this project is a good example of how not only one species benefits where you're you are pretty much specific to LCT, but the work you do ends up benefiting a ton of other species. Could you um, talk about that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, one of the like we kind of mentioned before, one of the bigger things that um, that BDA structures or beaver dam structures do is they, you know, they pull up water. Uh, facil can facilitate groundwater recharge and in doing so they benefit not only lahontan cutthroat trout but can benefit species such as bats um, as a great example and we're actually working with um, uh, Cheyenne Acevedo our diversity biologist here is helping us uh, work with USGS to evaluate how these structures um, can affect bat densities in the area um, just because bats uh, tend to rely on pooling water um, to drink essentially when they're flying through these canyons and whatnot. Um, so, you know, having these type of structures on the landscape could, could you know, drastically uh, positively influence a species like a bat. And, you know, there's also other benefits to, you know, upland game birds, um, increasing water down in areas that wouldn't have it later in the summer, keeping, you know, distributions of upland game birds spread, uh, spread out. 
and then there's also things like you know um, different types of aquatic um, uh, uh, species such as snails or uh, native non-game fish that benefit from from having these structures in or could benefit um, so yeah it goes uh, above and beyond at what it could do for not just Laha and cutthroat trout for sure. And Aaron, you had some really good questions during the break. Yeah, I got to, you know, I I had Coulter trapped during the break, so I hit him with all my, you know, trivia questions. But it was a long uh, break. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious, questions. like when when you put in a structure or multiple structures like this, like how it how it necessarily like affects the the traveling of the fish up and down the creek, or are they, you know, are they stuck? Because I could see like yeah, they might be able to weasel through, but yeah, is it like a dam, like a legit dam for them to move? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a warranted concern and one that I think a lot of fish, uh, fisheries people's, uh, thought about for a while. And, um, you know, in the Lahontan cutthroat trout world, it's, you know, we deal with so much drought and, um, you know, variable flows that in a, a lot of instances, a lot of times when, um, you know, we're dealing with drought conditions in the summer, um, regardless of beaver dams uh, or any other type of dams, fish get kind of stuck in pools or habitat um, that's, well, it can be ideal or not ideal. It depends on where they get stuck, I guess. But um, BDA structures can certainly keep fish uh, um, from moving during drought uh, conditions when water gets low and there's no availability to move. Um, but when it's important, um, when they, you know, need to move to spawn, um, it's pretty amazing what, what trout can move through or over. Um, and especially, you know, they, they essentially co-evolved with beavers across the land or, or, or across the landscape, um, not just lawn cutthroat trout, but other subspecies of cutthroat trout. And so, I mean, I think they've, been, they've got it figured out. They've been doing this for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, so they, you know they they find a way to work around it at least when it counts yeah and then i was going to ask um you were talking about monitoring and like kind of that surveying of of after the project's complete like what makes a project successful or, or how do you call it a success yep well that's exactly what we're trying to figure out with this project is um yeah what what is what what does it mean to be successful for a bda project and so we're we're trying to evaluate that on multiple scales. Um, like I mentioned, you know, we're looking we're looking at other species such as densities of bats um, in the area, both uh, pre and post uh, BDA installation. We're looking at um, cutthroat trout distribution and densities uh, pre and post BDA installation. And then USGS and Utah State are doing a bunch of uh, habitat. Um, um, surveys to uh, basically assess how habitat is being affected um, by these BDA structures. And I'm not um, as uh, knowledgeable as I probably should be on the habitat uh, side of things, but I know they're doing some fancy stuff with uh, some of their habitat uh, data to see exactly how these BDAs are affecting, you know, um, channel incision and uh riparian habitat expansion things like that yeah very interesting and i could see like building off of it with some more fish habitat type projects 
you know, some pole plantings or something like that going along the edge to kind of combat that or kind of counteract that cut bank type stuff. So very interesting. Yeah, and so so the status of this project, so basically the BDAs are built and where do we go from here? Yeah, so hopefully, well, <laughs> it's hard cuz you know, we always want a high water year, uh, especially in the in the desert, but um fingers crossed it's not quite as uh, you know, bad as it was last year cuz uh we're hoping that these structures stay put for at least a year or a couple years, uh, at least to give us time to then look at reintroducing beavers back into Crowley Creek. Because um, as I think I mentioned earlier, you know, it's the, the whole process or idea of putting in these BDA structures isn't um, a long-term fix. It's kind of a temporary solution to where, you know, it would be beneficial to reestablish beavers to maintain the dams. Um, and continue to hopefully improve habitat conditions in that area. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that this project can look to re to try and reintroduce beavers within the next two years um, to get them back on the landscape. If, you know, if it so happens that we can't get them out there quick enough um, for whatever reason and have to go out and maintain dams uh, for the next year or two, then that might be the next step. But hopefully we can move towards getting beaver back out there. Yeah, and then hopefully that does happen and then you could come and join us for a podcast and talk about how you've reintroduced beaver so <laughs> everyone awesome. wins <laughs> hey yeah, actually i don't know i don't know if you know this but coulter's position is actually at you know one point in my life was actually my dream job he has one of the most interesting and cool jobs in the department I didn't know that, but just talking to you, I could tell it's a really cool job. And you're just so knowledgeable. Like, I feel like this is a really interesting podcast. I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. So, and Coulter, can you can you explain, like, real quick, like, what your day-to-day -day job looks like? Maybe, like, let's take it, like, in the summertime. So, like, what's your job like in the summer? Uh, it's, it, um, well... I guess you have a reason to say what you said because I do have a lot of fun in the summer. It's a, <laughs> it is a pretty awesome job. I get to, I basically spend all of June, July, and August um, hiking around Northwest Nevada. Uh, a lot of what we do is surveying, at least as of right now, uh, projects aside, uh, what we're doing or have been doing for the last two years has been doing a, a very thorough assessment um, demographic and genetic assessment of Lahan cutthroat trout on the land that are that are left on the landscape. And so we're essentially hiking around to any occupied Lahan cutthroat trout streams that are left in the area, um, doing these very um, intricate um, kind of extensive surveys to get at, you know, how big the population is, um, how what what does genetic diversity look like? Um, do we have issues with um, non-native species, not only competing with Lahan cutthroat trout, but potentially reproducing with Lahan cutthroat trout um, and de uh, degrading, you know, fitness and, and Lahan cutthroat trout genetics. So, you know, the last two summers have been have been pretty awesome because I've basically spent all my time um, camping around all summer, hiking down into streams, um, and of course, you know, we do all that sampling with with um, backpack electrofishers. Um, so, you know, you're 
for everyone out there where you know you're you're walking up and down streams with essentially uh backpacks with small car batteries on them and you're, you're you know you, you have uh, a lot of um uh control over how much electricity you're putting into the water obviously but um yeah you're you're you know you're shocking fish netting them um counting them measuring them taking genetic samples um so that's been the biggest part of my job in the last 2 years uh, projects aside we've also um i've been fortunate enough we've we've gotten a couple other projects on the landscape which has been pretty fun as well Aaron this is really depressing thinking how you ended up in an office <laughs> hearing where Coulter much different position than Coulter's yeah. right yeah. yeah it is hey you know. come out with me whenever you want yeah mm, sounds good yeah what other projects do you guys have going on if you don't mind sharing yeah so we're um we're we've got a couple on the landscape uh we've got what's called the genetic rescue project um so we've kind of quickly well we've known for a while and then also found out through some of these genetic sampling methods that i described that you know a lot of uh, remaining lahontan cutthroat trout populations are really small and you know generations of small population sizes leads to uh, essentially inbreeding problems um, and you know with inbreeding typically comes the loss of genetic diversity across a fish's genome because you know you've got the same very similar fish mating with similar fish and you're losing variation um, you know in their dna essentially and so you know this this project that we just actually implemented last week um, we have well i guess we have one more fish movement day next week but we um, we're going to remnant populations uh, where these populations have been essentially bottlenecked uh, several times. They're they're super small, isolated headwater um, lawn cutthroat trout populations have gone through inbreeding problems. And one way you can essentially um, kind of well, a couple studies with West Slope cutthroat trout and with brook trout have shown that you can mitigate those. Uh, negative effects of inbreeding if you move a small number of fish between uh, populations. So, you know, if Crowley Crowley Creek, for instance, if and, and that is a small population and it's gone through potentially multiple bottlenecks, um, in, you know, a bunch of inbreeding going on in there. So if we were to take fish from a uh, close Lahontan cutthroat trout stream, say Washburn Creek, move them into Crowley Creek, um, you're, you're kind of trying to, you're, you're getting out of that inbreeding effect um, and hopefully, you know, kind of plugging in a, a new, um, some new genetic diversity within that system, which has been shown to be really beneficial for fitness in that area. Um, so that's one of the bigger projects that we're doing. Uh, we just implemented that last week. Um, we have one more fish movement um, our fish transfer next week that we're moving fish between streams. But for the most part, um, that project's kind of getting wrapped up and we're, we actually have, we're working with, uh, the university of Montana to evaluate the outcomes, um, of that whole deal. We've got a graduate student on that, um, who was just a seasonal here under me at Endow, um, which is kind of fun, cool to see some seasonals going and, you know, doing doing some other stuff and going to grad school, and um, yeah, he'll uh, uh, he's he's going to basically spend the next three years in this country evaluating the the effects of that. So 
that'll be a cool project. And then, yeah, we have a couple others as well. I don't know how much you want me to go into any of those other I ones. think we got a good idea of what you guys are working <laughs> on. <laughs> no, it's super interesting. I wish we could just talk to you all day. <laughs> it is so interesting. And I'm glad we had you on to hear a little bit about what you guys have going on. Um, very cool work. And I'm excited to see the outcome of all these projects. So please keep us in the loop on them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you guys for for having me on. I I uh, selfishly really loved, as you probably noticed, to talk about fish. So I'll <laughs> glad it's glad great. to be here anytime. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you at Endo. Glad to have you at Endo, Coulter. And uh, sounds like we found the perfect guy for that position. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's been it's been uh, a heck of a job, and it's been a lot of fun for me. It's it's about a perfect as perfect of a fit as it as it can get. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.